the business development sales prior to COVID were so much different to, to now. Mm. So in a 12-month, 18-month period, like our whole methodology changed. Really? Okay. Well, it doesn't work. So, you know, um, pre-COVID, post-COVID, during COVID, you can't be so rigid and so structured in your sales approach and think that one approach will work in every environment. Like you need to be agile and move with a market. Yeah. I think we, we do that really well. We, um, you know, we actually test the market all the time. I'll jump in the market all the time and I'll actually, I'll do the phone calls with my guys and I'll be like, all right guys, I'm going to put you on speaker. I'm going to call. This is what I'm going to say. You're literally going to hear it in real time while I'm talking to someone on the phone and they're going to say this, 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 and I'm going to say that, 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 and this is where we're going to go and literally do it. And it's horrible, by the way. It's the worst <laughs> thing in the world to do. I hate it. I absolutely hate it. But I have it's to. It's kind of it. risky. It is so risky. It's yeah. so risky. But I have to do it with the guys because when they see it in real time, real action, I've said what I'm going to do. I've said what I feel like the response is going to be. And as I sort of go through the call, it will it'll sort of um, progress this way and I'll and I'm a bit cheeky sometimes I'll, I'll put it on mute and I'm back and now this is this this is gonna happen and it happens and the guys are like oh my god this guy's psychic but um play with it that way and and I will change scripting because I'll get certain responses again and again and again and I'll see the pattern I'll go okay what is up everyone this is Ronnie your host of the Ronnie Osanyu show my number one goal in this show is to bring you some of the most amazing and accomplished individuals in the business world to share with you some real, raw, and authentic business insights. We sit down and talk in a casual setting, nothing too serious, yet we unpack some of the most incredible ideas, concepts, and best practices. So please, sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. Oh, and don't forget to share the love. Like, share, and subscribe. Gracias, amigos. What is up, everyone, and welcome to the Ronnie Asani Show. And joining me today is Pete Sklenius. Did I butcher that name? Did I get it right? It's, it's okay. It's, it's better than I've had before, so <laughs> it's fine. Um, Pete is the co-founder and managing director of the Black Wolf Group, also head of sales, uh, with an impressive track record helping clients increase their bottom line by improving their teams, helping them build their recruitment strategies and their commercial profiles. Um, Pete is skilled in a few things or a ton of things uh, from recruitment to negotiation, um, putting business strategies, planning, uh, workforce management and my favorite, sales. Um, with 15 years of experience with companies in Australia and overseas, um, Pete has a lot to share with us today. Also a father of two and based out of the Gold Coast here in Australia and um, living with his wife and co-founder, Tanya Abbey, who was also on the Ronnie Science Show a few weeks ago. Pete, uh, welcome to the Ryan Science Show and great to have you, mate. Thank you. That's a that's a huge introduction to live up to. So <laughs> I'll uh, try my best. Could have been longer. <laughs> yeah. Um, there's a lot of a lot of things to talk about, but I was thinking maybe we can kick off with uh, one of my favorite topics or things um, that I continuously like to improve and help my clients as well, which is sales. And I know that yes. you're a master of that craft. So why don't we uh, jump into that? What actually, because if you're in sales, you got to be passionate about it, right? You can't, you couldn't really be a great salesperson if, if you're not passionate about it. 
Yeah, 100% you have to believe in your product. But I think a lot of people get caught up in sales, the word sales. So, I mean, if you've asked a girl out for dinner, you know, you've negotiated with your kids to eat their vegetables, you know, you've debated about going to see a particular movie, it's it's sales. So, mm. um, I feel it's, it's just, it's influencing an outcome to a, a specific um, action or direction or, or whatever you're sort of trying to yeah. achieve. Um, but yeah, definitely, I think um, passion is 100%. Like you can tell the difference between the good salespeople and the average salespeople. Typically, you know, tenure in positions gives it away. But product, like people who love their product, if you're like really supportive and you're like, oh my God, you know, this is the best coffee you'll ever drink. You know, mm. it, it smells amazing. It's a you know, um, organic origin blend from you know, XYZ. I just love it. It's great. Yeah. Um, you know, you will, you will almost contact, like catch that person's enthusiasm and excitement. And it's like that transfer of energy mm. and, and um, certainty and trust to another person. That's what, to me, that's what sales is. It's funny you say that because I always talk about transfer of energy, not from a very scientific standpoint, but from as far as I can relate to it and feel it. And whether it's from someone who has that level of energy or high energy and, you know, the way they talk to you and transfer it over to you or whether it's, you know, when you have it and when you communicate to people and they, you can see the impact that has on them and how much more motivated you know they become and how much more trusting so mm. i feel like that high energy or enthusiasm or passion that you have when you're trying to communicate something it it elevates that trust as well yeah yeah definitely and there's a few there's a few really good you know globally known sales people like jordan belfort and all those types of guys and they talk about transfer of certainty in um, you know your product you know your personal skill set and expertise and in your company and I, I really believe in that particular model i i definitely think that you know when you do go to buy something it's do you know the product like mm. if if you talk about buying a vacuum cleaner like i can pretty much bet you're thinking about a dyson you know, mm. that, that's just how, yeah. how it works you know in in the uk people don't say they're going to vacuum the floor they say they're going to hoover it you know, because yeah. that's a, a product brand. It's it's household it's like name. So. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So it's it's household. People trust it. They know it. There's all these things that they're actually going to get when they when they actually buy that product. There's a certain experience that they're gonna mm. they're gonna have, and yeah, that that is where that trust comes from. And your salesperson is basically your you know tour guide through that experience to make sure that you actually unpack all those you know things that are going to make your life better, you know, features, benefits, whatever it may be. Mm. And um, if, if you can't get that feeling of trust from that person, which comes from those those three areas, you're going to get that gut feel that says, oh, it just doesn't feel right. You know, oh, there's something about him. Um, oh, I'm not sure. Let me think about it. Mm. And that's where that's going to come from. And, and that's basically just like subconsciously something in your intuition and value system hasn't been checked off. Mm. and you don't feel comfortable making that transaction. Yeah. If you had two people, one knew the product really well, but something was off about them, mm. or another person who was the opposite, they had the right energy, you feel like you can trust them, but didn't know the product too well, which one would you buy from or pick? Are they trying to 
make it up as they go with the product or are they are they just are you thinking from a recruitment standpoint yeah i mean i mean i um i've had experience with with both of these types of people that get those really um like expert people that technically know something inside out back to front but they bore you to death with facts and figures because it's not a it's not a exciting thing for them it's not bringing out the emotion as well yeah, yeah. And, and then and then i have um and i've even employed people like this who are great they're some of my best people like they don't necessarily understand everything initially but they have such passion and their excitement and enthusiasm so you know um like on point. It, yeah on point and, and it's very contagious and you sit there and and that you find yourself getting excited because their excitement and and you know you you will probably forgive their lack of knowledge if they're not being dishonest so mm. and when i say that a lot of salespeople in general will just be like oh you know blah 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 start and rattle it off and they have no idea um where i would kind of say you, you would be better off saying i don't know mm. let me go find out and come back to you and i think that that is a a, a lot better of a strategy and i think that even as a as a consumer having your salesperson say that to you you probably have more trust for them because they're like oh this person is just trying to blag me for sale to get me to to buy something they're actually mm. you know, coming at it from a, a really consultative yeah. approach when you think about when you say the word or the words i don't know it it does elevate trust because especially people who have done like buyers who have done their homework and due diligence and you know they have a ton of questions the chances are you're not going to have the answer to every single question and if you try to answer them as as better as as much as you can or as best as you can um even sometimes you might not have the right answer so saying i don't know to one or two questions will give you credibility yeah and, and there's personality profiles that, that i know of and i think you know thinking back to my early stages i think it's um an owl i think the owl is the personality profile those are the types of people that will sit on the internet and or look at uh you know a brochure and know like those stats that no one knows you yeah. know you know they might know that a car does like 4.2 liters per 100 kilometers in urban driving and you sit there and go oh wow do you mm. know what i mean um and if you try to if you try to sort of blag it through and make it up as you go and and you know, mislead or just fumble over that that person's lost because they know better than you mm. but on the flip side of that if you don't know anything about it at all you know it's worse it, it's, yeah yeah it, it's struggle street <laughs> about, like yeah. you know if someone comes in and, and they don't know anything about anything and you know it's their first day um you know other than sort of telling them hey this is my my first day here and you know, i'm going to work with you but work with me and i'll make sure you mm. get the best service i can provide you know it's it's a it's a hard road yeah so you definitely want to have both um yeah you know um product knowledge is key absolutely and, and, like you need to know what you're what you're involved in you mentioned jordan belford yes yeah have you do you know much about um obviously his past but have you seen as a recent probably maybe within the last maybe six to 12 months there was um a podcast he did with grant cardone Oh yeah, yeah. And they yeah, they yeah, went yeah, after yeah. each other. Yeah, I did, did. I did. Did you watch that? I saw bits of it. Um I personally think Jordan's better than Grant, but I mean that's, that's me. that that was gonna be my question. Yeah, that's me sitting on the fence. 
And, and so the follow-up question is why? Uh, I think, and this is just my opinion, um, from doing my research and looking at their sales models and then YouTubing them and watching them in action, I personally think Jordan Belvoort has a better understanding of the psychology of a sale. Yep. I think he has a better technical ability to be able to deliver a result where I find it, Grant Cardone's a little bit more just... Pushing? Yeah, yeah, just like, you know, smash it out, smash it out, smash it out, and you'll just get there. I think um, what I really like about Jordan Belfort, which I 100% agree with, he, he says that not everyone is closable, and I fully, fully embrace that. Like, you can only sell something to someone who is, sell, like, you know, yeah. able to be sold to, and I think that really um, is a important thing for salespeople to understand when you are starting in your career and it's not happening for you and, and you might be in a in a particular industry that has quite high you know rejection rate and you have to go well possibly this isn't me and i'm just you know in a patch of those people that i can't can't sell to and i think he's got a really good understanding of that i i definitely agree with a lot of his um philosophy yeah persuasion philosophies and and you know that real deep dive into the psychology of it i think yeah i think he's got him to the post there i think grant cardone approaches it from a math or like numbers perspective like yeah we got a thousand people we're gonna try to close as many but if we couldn't we'll just keep going and jordan belfer approaches it on a detailed lower level like on a, like you said, a, a human to a human interaction. Yeah. And trying to understand what the pain points are and how to, you know, bridge the gap. And understanding that no one is, n not everyone is closable. Um, and not burning a bridge mm. if that person is not going to close now because they might close later or they might come back to you. Yeah. And Grant Cardone made his money from real estate though, didn't he? Like he's a real estate guy. That's his that's his real He he does everything. Portfolio. I mean, in saying all of that, he's a genius in my opinion in, in really a lot of ways. Guy. Very clever. But I would say he's more of a marketer yeah. than a than a salesperson. Um I've seen how he closes on the phone and, you know, face to face and uh, you know, granted he's he's really good as well. Uh, but uh, when it comes to the science and like the crooks of the matter I'd say I'd have to agree with you. I um I saw a YouTube video with Grant uh, and um, he was really, really pumped up and he basically walked into his, you know, the bullpen and jumped on the phone with all these guys. He was like smashing out. He goes, hey, who's going to buy us something today? And and um, I watched that one morning. I was like, oh, wow, good on him for having the finger on the pulse and being on the tools with these guys, like actually practicing the craft, not the whole, yeah. you know, those that can't do teach sort of thing. Yeah. And um, really, really liked that. And... Yeah, I, I, I think he's I think he's really good and really charismatic. He's like a likable guy. I think yep. I think it would be hard to say no to him because he's so likable and this, his approach is really good. Um, yeah, so I think I think they both have really good points. Um, it just it just depends on what what resonates with your personality profile. Mm. I would suppose absolutely. So if you when you go out to recruit and look for the right salespeople, if you were. How do you go about it and what are the questions you ask and how do you prep them for the next or the hiring manager or the company that they're going to sit in front of? Um, so recruiting candidates, uh, recruiting candidates is, is really understanding 
the position and the job and the company that you're working for recruiting recruiters like so that's what like i'm in recruitment recruiting recruiters is probably the hardest thing that i do i i hate recruiting recruiters they're just it's such a uh you know, um, multifaceted job function that you need to be good at so many different elements and then mm. make it work together and your product's a person. So, you know, it's not like selling a car or a house where, you know, the house is like, oh, no, I don't want to go home with that guy because, you know, I don't like the area. It's going to take me 45 minutes to get to work. Yeah. It's a, you know, people of the product. Um, so, but when when actually doing recruitment and um, doing it like in our, in our role, um, I mean, it's really about getting to, true motivators of people and you develop a really good intuition mm. for like talent um and you can tell by someone's confidence in answering your questions and it's really job specific so mm. i mean you can rattle off the the typical you know what are your greatest achievements what are your motivators you know blah blah, blah that, yeah all, all that sort of stuff and i mean everyone's gone through job interviews i'm sure you've all heard all those yep. questions multiple times yep. a lot of them are just tick and flick really redundant questions um i, I personally find uh, and it doesn't really get you to those main drivers i think when you when you're talking to someone and you're pitching them a position or interviewing them um for a position like it's it's about how they answer mm. and you know what makes them excited and you know their responsiveness to you know, um, you know, oh, I booked you an interview for one o'clock on Friday. Oh no, I can't make it. Or you know, that inflexibility. Like you can usually tell by how someone responds to you throughout the process whether mm. they're an actual, um, you know, keen, dedicated, interested type mm. person because people will make things work. Um, do you get people out of curiosity? Do you get a lot of people who say, "Oh, sorry, I can't make it," because you know, back in the day when I was looking for jobs. I couldn't imagine myself getting told, hey, you're going to, you know, a, a, an interview at 2 p.m. And then I say, oh, sorry, come make it. I got to go do that. Well, yeah, it, it happens. It doesn't happen often. I think the worst thing that happens is someone doesn't turn up on their first day. Oh, that's worse. Yeah, I think that's probably the, the most horrible phone call that you you receive. More of a labor hire contracting type scenario than, than full-time permanent jobs. Mm. Um, but yeah, 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 I... Um, I've had instances where I have tried to lock people in for interviews and it's gone for like like weeks. And I'm like, I'm like, listen, if you want this job, we need to lock in a time, happy to chat to you, out of hours, weekends, like yep. let's make this work. There's there's no way you're busy twenty four seven. Like if you want it, you'll make it happen. Yeah, if you want it, you make it happen. Um and we've all done it. Like we've all shuffled things around to make things work. Of course, sometimes you you have things going on. Um just going back to to sales because i guess what i was trying to understand from a from a sales capability perspective are there specific things that you try to gauge when you ask people when you sit in front of them that you think are going to give you a better answer or are you more looking for subtle cues are you you know other specific things you're trying to put in front of them or even role play or yeah so when recruiting for myself and my team i'm always looking for resourcefulness and intuition yeah and they are probably and problem solving they are probably the, the three most important things that i value in in one of our team members honesty integrity all that sort of stuff that's a mm -hmm. gimme I don't, yeah. I don't feel like you know they should be highlighted they should they right. should just be there yeah, yeah, yeah. um resourcefulness intuition 
and just you know being able to create a solution like mm. that's basically what we do we're professional all problem solvers yeah and i'll ask them crazy questions in interviews so so tan and our ops managers and all those sorts of people will come in and ask them all the technical questions and all mm. sort of stuff and i'll just come in for you know five minutes or so and i'll ask them something like you know, how many dog walkers do you think operate on the gold coast and i don't really care what they say it's not about the answer but i and i'll be like just talk me through it and they'll be like oh you know wow i don't know um you know maybe there's seven hundred thousand people on the gold coast so maybe there's you know ten thousand dog walkers and i'm actually looking for their thinking process mm. uh, i want to see their problem solvability if they just sit there and go oh no idea i don't know they're not gonna what are you make. asking me that question? yeah yeah, yeah. they're not gonna, <laughs> they're not gonna make. and there's no it's like it's like the um the tesla question where he's like you know if you're standing here at this point you know where are you and they mm. ask you the follow-up question it's that crazy north pole question that that elon Musk apparently asked yeah. um and it's like that but it's not about the answer it's about the the thought process and, and it's very much um what i look for um yeah that, that that's yeah. probably the main the main yeah you heard of um obviously elon musk when when he goes about recruitment he doesn't look for um and that was an eye-opening a moment for me uh, which wasn't the first time to hear about, but when when you hear someone like him, you know, going about it that way, it makes you think. Um, so he, even for engineering jobs, for um, whether for Tesla or the um, other companies that he has and runs, um, he doesn't look for any degrees. No, and and doesn't he not hire people with MBAs? Isn't that a thing? That Probably, that, yeah, hundred percent sure. Because but I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah, I, I'm sure I read, and I could be wrong, but I'm sure I read an article that saying he doesn't like hiring people with MBAs because they're they're too um, rigid, rigid in their approach. And he goes, "I need life experience as well." So, mm. but um, yeah, I, I I think that that's such a I think I think as a person you can go through life and educate yourself. And you can get to a point where you're so good on paper, mm. like you're like the perfect candidate, the perfect f- person for a position, but you have no real time or real life application in, in the mm. real world. So I remember I spoke to one of my um, engineering clients and he goes, Pete, he goes, I have some of the most brilliant, clever people working here, but they have like no EQ. He goes, they will draw the most technical building on a piece of paper, but you can't build it. It has no constructability like in the real world it doesn't work but on paper it does and they have to go through and they basically make their money by fixing these these mm. problems and you know these guys build the, their high rises and I, I think that's such a like a good lesson for us to sort of keep in mind that you need to have both walk the path and know the path yeah how do you that's an interesting um i guess topic where you have a lot of people who are very scientific mm. and perhaps their EQ skills are not very polished. And, you know, I can I can say I was one of these people. Um, my background when I first started my career and, you know, my bachelor's were engineering and I wasn't paying too much attention at times to, you know, how people communicate, how people feel when I talk yep. uh, and things like that. And then started to pay a lot of attention to that and kind of flipped the, the entire equation for myself. Um, what sort of engineering were you doing? Uh, so I started as a mechanical for a couple of years yep. and I transferred into industrial. So okay. that was a lot of like production, uh, a bit of IT, 
manufacturing processes, but all about efficiencies and yeah, you know, making things work better. Yeah. yeah, and and so it was interesting when I was studying, but after I finished, I just felt it wasn't what I wanted to do um, in my life because I like to communicate with people, and I I didn't want to have a job or be in an environment that was more focused on things rather than people. And that was one of the things that got me to shift into marketing. Um, but anyway, so the point is, and, and that doesn't apply to everyone, because um, I'm sure there are a lot of scientific people, people who focus on science or engineering or, you know, I don't know, any, any type of discipline like that, where you're focusing on um, not necessarily people and just by virtue of what you do, you might not have the highest EQ, right? And so in, in, in today's, you know, economy and, you know, all the different skills that you need to have to, to be properly equipped uh, for any job, you need to have EQ. So how do you, as a recruiter or as an organization, but also as an individual, develop that if you don't have it? <coughs> so... Some of the hardest roles we work for are those technical engineering sales-based roles because mm. they don't usually go hand-in-hand. Hand. <coughs> I typically find people that have gone through that education system, they don't really have that sales ability. Like, it's mm. a really unusual crossover as a, as a skill set. Um, developing it yourself, I mean, my EQ is just awareness, isn't it? Like, it's just... Mm. It's just having a, a bit of an understanding of of people and your environment and how you can you know contribute and affect a you know um, an environment and like working on it. I mean, I think it's just social interaction and and understanding. I think um, a lot of and when we interview them, you know, a lot of engineers are very technical and and very straight to the point with all their answers, and they don't give you that know flow or conversation you would get with a with a normal person and um it the conversation does feel like you're dragging it out of yeah. them so to speak i think i mean i'm sure you could do i'm sure you could do um you know course, courses, courses yeah. or um I, but i would just practice like mm. like just like put yourself I, out there yeah, i do i do some i do some crazy you know things with my guys i'll be like i will i want you all to get your elevator pitch ready which is your you know, 10 second about yourself and the business and then i want you to find me i want you to go get me three people's business cards in two weeks time and i'm like i don't care where you get them from like whether you pitch someone in the elevator and strike up a conversation with them and get engaging with them uh doesn't mind i don't mind if you're down the pub chatting to them or at a sporting event or at your kids school or whatever but i literally force them to go out there and strike up conversations with people they do not know Mm. in a really um I'm not going to say like a networking environment, like a normal everyday, day-to-day type environment yeah. where yeah. people just have to be like a bit of a conversationalist. And I don't really care whether they get the card or not. Mm. But I just want to know whether you went out there and you were I'm able trying. to start a conversation with a total stranger who probably is like sitting there looking at their phone, ignoring you, and you were able to hold it for you know yeah. enough time to get the, get the gold with the card or at least be able to tell me about them like, oh, you know, I met you know, Bill Jones and he works on level 15 and he's an accountant. Mm. Like that's a absolute win because how, how would you sort of go about getting that information off someone without even knowing them? Typically people just ignore each other. They're very mm. antisocial. Do you find that technical people have a hard time dealing with rejection? 
I think everyone does. I think I think I don't. I wouldn't say it's it's um, you know particular to technical people. I think that technical people deliver the facts, and if people don't accept it, they wonder why because they're like, well, this is how it is, and mm. you know you're saying no. Like, why are you saying no? Because I've given you a clear, concise, you know, mm. valid, logical argument. Um, but I think as a general, um, it's a it's a pretty rare person that can go out and get rejected again and again and again and and, and not bother them. Like, mm. it's, they're very rare. Um, it'll wear you down eventually. And I think it's just a personal, personal confidence thing. And I guess how you deal with that, if you are like, oh, next, you know, water for ducks back, I think you'll be great and successful. But if you are crushed every time someone says no or you're paralyzed by fear to even call in case they say no, yeah. you're not going to make it. It's mm. um, you need to You need to realize that no or rejection – is not really a bad thing. Um, I tell my guys, your job starts when someone says no. Like when mm. someone rejects you and says no, that's when the salesperson job actually starts. If someone says yes the whole time, you're just an order taker. You're literally sitting there going, yep, yep, no problems, great. You know, let's, let's do this. Mm. Um, but when someone um, says to you, oh, mate, no, I'm not interested or or no, not today or whatever it is, and, and you're able to, or I don't don't want to don't mm. use you, your product and you can talk them around and form a relationship with them and then you know like start doing business with them they're usually the best clients Mm. because 50 other people before you have tried and they've said no and they've just like oh my god i can't handle this and just okay no worries thank you bye and hang up the phone or or leave but um i think rejection is an important part of sales and and Mm. i guess managing your expectations and reactions around rejection is important Mm. So I guess the two different ways of dealing with them. One of them is is um, dealing with every time you get a rejection, having that internal dialogue right away and saying, okay, well, you know, they said no and they said no because one, two, three and it didn't necessarily have to do with me or maybe my approach was not correct. It do- doesn't have to do with me personally. and. Yep. Here's what I've learned from that feedback and what I need to do. Here's what I need to do going back uh, or going forward. Um, and these are the adjustments I need to make. But then there's the other way, which is not really dealing with the rejection on a day-to-day or you know, every time it happens and just let it slowly bring your energy down and then reaching that point where you're like, okay, I can't keep going. Now I have to bump myself back up yep. to that level. And um, I think the former is probably the better. Um, I'm guilty of doing the latter, which is ignoring, you know, rejections, that the mini rejections that happen throughout the week or throughout the month and then reaching a point where like, oh, I'm pretty demotivated now. I have to do something about it. I have to talk to myself and have that dialogue. Yep. Not everyone's closable. Straight off the bat, you need to you need to expect a certain amount of rejection if you're in a sales environment. Um, I think doing a little bit of a self-assessment is good. So if you feel like you've had a good call or a good meeting and it was a no, maybe spend a minute reflecting. So what did I say that went well? Mm. This, this, this. How did the client respond? They responded positively or negatively. Um, You know, where do I feel that I did a bad job? So, you know, typically a salesperson, oh my God, I blew that phone call. It was so bad, blah, blah, blah. 
And you just need to go, okay, so what did you say? And what did they say? And what do you think you could have said differently that would have provoked a different response? And that sort of self-assessment, I think mm. if you sit there thinking about it for too long, you'll really just do your head in. And I think you should definitely just, if you're like on that phone sales type environment, I would just make another call straight away and try to forget about it and, mm. and not dwell. I feel like really smart people and really high performers, they think about what didn't work too much mm. and they probably don't concentrate on those little positive bits and and basically sales is is putting all those positive bits together and creating a, a methodology that works for you individually mm. and then that becomes your style and then yeah. your success rate goes up because you feel confident mm. in delivering it that's why people with scripts usually usually mm. fall over you know they really struggle with scripting and and you know reading off cards and that sort of thing but um once they've been in a role for a few months and maybe that script is you know, memorized in yeah and then yeah. and then they're kind of influencing it with their own style it becomes more fluid and you know the confidence goes up they make a few sales goes up more and then they get to the point where it's just you know rolling off the tongue and you know people will throw you know a curly question at them but they've had it 50 times before so they know how to answer it and, and you get those um, patterns that you see uh, positively and negatively. So you go, oh no, I've been here before, like let's pump the brakes here and yep. pull this back. Or you go, oh, this is really great. You know, I've been here before, I understand where we're going. And just learning, it's like mm. actively learning. And yep. environmental factors change. So the sales, um, you know, the, the business development sales prior to COVID were so much different to, to now. Mm. So in a 12 month, 18 month period, like our whole methodology changed really okay well it doesn't work so you know um pre-covid post-covid during covid you can't be so rigid and so structured in your sales approach and think that, that one approach will work in every environment like you need to be agile and move with a market yeah. i think we we do that really well we um you know we actually test the market all the time i'll jump in the market all the time and i'll actually i'll do the phone calls with my guys and I'll be like, all right, guys, I'm going to put you on speaker. I'm going to call. This is what I'm going to say. You're literally going to hear it in real time while I'm talking to someone on the phone and they're going to say this, 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 and I'm going to say that, 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 and this is where we're going to go and literally do it. And it's horrible, by the way. It's the worst <laughs> thing in the world to do. I hate it. I absolutely hate it. But I have it's to It's kind of it. risky. It is so risky. It's yeah. so risky. But I have to do it with the guys because when they see it in real time, real action, I've said what I'm going to do. I said what I feel like the response is going to be, and as I sort of go through the call, it will, it'll sort of um, progress this way. And I'll, and I'm a bit cheeky. Sometimes I'll, I'll put it on mute and I'm back. And now this is this this is going to happen. And it happens. And the guys are like, oh my god, this guy's psychic. But um, play with it that way, and and I will change scripting because I'll get certain responses again and again and again, and I'll see the pattern. I'll go, okay, we have to adjust our. Our, approach. Yeah, our approach by doing X, Y, Z. Um, and that's, I think that's really important just to, to keep on top of it because it's an evolving thing. It's not, you know, it's not, it's always going to be about trust, mm. always. But how you deliver, you know, your value add and your unique selling proposition and, you know, your company and all, all the things you can offer are going to change and environments are going to change and you need to adjust. I think the key thing is to be willing to lose and demonstrate that to your people. Like, I'm willing to lose in front of you 
I'm willing to risk it. I'm willing to look like I don't know what I'm talking about. Yeah. And if I'm willing to do that, then you should be willing to go out and lose and learn from that loss and, and improve and, you know, do it better the next time. And, and my guys are cheeky, so I'll get them to to bring the calls to me. So I won't even know who it is and I'll quickly read them. I'll be like, oh, no, I'm going to get absolutely destroyed on this phone call. And, um, and I'll tell them, obviously, like, this is going to be a real tough one, guys. Um, but let's see how we go. And, um, you know, you don't also want to be the martyr that sort of sits there and is constantly doing well and everyone thinks you're so great and everything you do turns to gold. Like, it's good for you as a, as a manager, sales trainer, um, whatever your sort of position is, to be shut down for your sales team to see you struggle and then they go, oh, okay, well, Pete struggles all the time. He's not, he can't, doesn't close 100% of the time. Like, I'm not expected to do that. And that maybe takes a little bit of that pressure off as well, mm. helps them deal with that that rejection. But, yeah, it's um, everyone has a good chuckle. And you have a bit of fun. Like, at the end of the day, does it really matter? Like, is it really going to affect you that much if someone says no to you? Yeah. It's just a no, you roll over. Um, yeah, I think I think being a, you know, being, being someone that doesn't always get it right is absolutely critical. If people think that you are untouchable, um, either they won't trust you because they think you're there's something going there's on something here. <laughs> but you're, or, unapp- you're unapproachable, aren't you? Yeah. Someone can't come to you with a problem and say, "Oh, I'm really struggling here," and you're like, "Well, what's wrong with you? Or how yeah. come I can do it and you can't?" Like that's, I feel like that's very disheartening for any any like yeah. salesperson to hear. Yeah. Um, change of topics. Are there specific? mentors or even people that you look um sort of up to or try to learn from that you know we know of or even within the company or outside or people that you read the the books or how do you get your external motivation slash learning slash you know the drive or learn lessons from yeah so I think uh, I read a lot, I read a lot of books, listen to a lot of audiobooks. I think when I was young, I read Dale Carnegie, um, yep. How to Win Friends and Influence People. And it was like a really light bulb moment for me, and I quickly realized that his approach is very, very clever um, and timeless. Yes, yeah, it does not change. And and I I'll often use him as an example when I'm talking to to my team and um, saying, well, you know, no no one leaves an encounter after having done X Y Z. And mm. said, "Oh, they didn't. They didn't enjoy it." And I think I think he's amazing. Um, pitch anything. I thought that was a great book. Um, I mean, there's obviously John Belfort. We sort of touched on. Yeah. Um, Grant Cardone. We touched on. Yeah. Um, there's a there's a few guys up there, but I wouldn't I wouldn't necessarily say I model myself off a particular person. Mm. I I learnt when I started my sales career. Basically, I attached myself to the best salesperson. And I right. literally would listen in to him and it was in a really competitive sales environment. And I would listen to what he would say. I listened to how he would deliver it. And I was mm. like, oh, I really like that. That is like really mm. clever. And um, I would try to incorporate that into my own style. And I listen to, to other people and I'd really sort of pick and choose mm. from particular sales people and, and what I liked and didn't like. And I'd sort of mold it into my own. And even now, I actually still learn from my guys. Like when I'm doing sales training, you know, we'll do scenario training, which is where we sit down, we do like that live scenario. Like what have you struggled with this week? What mm. sort of, what sort of um, things are people saying to you in the market? And sometimes they fire these like 
amazing objections at me. I'm like, wow, like that is just like, I sit back, I'm like, okay. And um, I'll be like, well, what did you say? And what did you do? And we run little workshops as well. And, you know, sometimes my, my people, they just come up with the most amazing answers. And mm. it's like, I love that. Yep. I'm, I'm going to put yep. that into my rotation. That's interesting because you look at coaches and players, like in, yep. in the context of sport, players are a lot more skilled than, than coaches. Perhaps the coach was back in the day at some point yep. was as skilled if not better and then eventually they went on touch. to be sorry they lose touch they, you lose touch yeah. so if you're a sales manager if you're you know someone who has extensive experience in sales and you've moved on to a role that has to do with that or a leadership role you're not going to be as polished mm. as as people who are in the front line yep as a sales manager you should be double closing for all your sales people i just want to say that i i think sales managers should always be involved at some stage, even if just for introduction. I just think that gives a brand uh, a lot more credibility, you know, uh, when a senior person comes in or, you know, you can bring an owner of a company or, mm. or someone of, of seniority in to, to meet a, a customer. I think it's really nice for, mm. for the customer. But uh, salespeople, salespeople should definitely be leaning on their sales managers to help them double close because mm. you're, you're right. They've been there. They probably started off and they were a, a gun salesperson. They progressed up the ranks. And uh, I definitely think sales managers should be you know, working to support their salespeople, not just sort of crunching them to hit their KPIs, their numbers, and their stats. Like get in the trenches with your guys. Like they'll mm. respect you more for it, and you'll teach them. Like they'll they'll get that real time training in front of a customer, mm. and they'll be like, oh wow, you know, mm. um, that's how they handled that. That was mm. that was great. I wouldn't have wouldn't have thought to do that myself. And I think just yeah it. You have to just be learning constantly and just really adapting your approach. Yeah. What was Pete like before starting Black Wolf Group? What were you like? What What were the things you're trying to achieve? And you know, what motivated you? And what got got you into co-founding the company? So, I I left school in grade ten. Yep. So. Um, you know, uh, everyone's everyone's got a sob story, and and not not that mine was my upbringing was bad, but you know, broken home, lived with my dad, um, in high school, grade ten, mm. like he couldn't pay the school fees, so I left, went and got yeah. a construction job, worked in construction, you know, out in the sun and just dying out there. And I remember I'd look at office buildings about, oh man, I want to sit in that aircon and and sit in that chair and just you know forget about all this stuff. In the Gold Coast. Uh, no, that was in Brisbane initially. Okay. So originally from Brisbane yeah. and, um, you know, I did that for a couple of years. I was like 16. So, and then on my, and I had other jobs between, but on my 21st birthday, I got my first proper sales job and, uh, I was there for about five years and I started and attached myself, as I said, to the, that best salesperson there. And within like three months, we we're going head to head for, for the top spot. Nice. Um, so, and when I was young, I was really motivated by making money because money felt made me feel secure and like I could control my environment and yep. all that sort of thing. But I kept customer satisfaction and that customer based focus really at hand. Mm. And, you know, I would, I would do things that probably weren't necessarily benefiting me for the customer. Mm. Um, but it kind of paid off in dividends because you, you, you form that relationship. Especially in the long term. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Mm. And, and you know, you can tell a good salesperson from a bad salesperson. Like if someone changes their job every three or six months, they're no good because mm. 
someone would give them three months to try. You know, if they're the really lenient boss, they might give them a month, another three mm. months to see how they go, and then they'll they'll yep. sort of move them on. But um, yeah, you know, was there for five years. I I really learned how to read people and understand scenarios and situations. And we did some like scripted sales training, phone sales training, road to a sale, all that sort of thing, which um worked. It mm. all worked. It's all basic simple stuff i'm not i'm not splitting atoms it's like a mm. it's like a fundamental principle system that you can translate into any any walk of your life and then uh basically one of my friends said to me um i said oh i'm sick of this i'm like i want to do something else and he goes i said i'm going to do real estate and he goes oh why don't you come do recruitment i was like oh what's it like is it's just like real estate but um it's monday to friday and i was like oh awesome <laughs> let's go do that and um, went there, and my first boss was an absolute monster. He, um, in the interview, for the record, <laughs> for the record, yeah, lovely, lovely guy, but just a just an absolute beast of a of a boss. When people talk about hard bosses, he was mm. he was the one that they talk about. In my first interview, he was like, "If you don't bill by your end of your three months, he goes, I'll ask for your resignation." Mm. And I was like, "Whoa, well, you know, challenge, right. challenge accepted." Yeah, let's like, you know, he's threw down threw down the gauntlet, so to speak, yeah. and. Um, and it was terrifying because it was a brand new industry. There was no training. It was like, there's your phone, there's a computer. You now recruit in health safety environment. And I was like, oh, what's what's health safety environment? Because I had no idea. What's health and what's safety? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Talking to talking to scientists about sustainability. And I was like, oh, what's sustainability? <laughs> I tried to Google it. Um, but yeah, it was just really, really, really tough. And just just such an intimidating environment. And then I remember writing my first, cause I got my first job on, it was a health and safety advisor. I remember writing an ad, I probably had like 300 people apply overnight. And I was like, wow. oh, I have to interview 300 people for this, this job that's paying like 60K. Mm. And I was like, I can't do this job. I'm literally gonna be sitting here doing you know, 70 hours a week worth of interviews mm. trying to get this done. And um, I quickly, I quickly worked out what worked for me and um, Long story short, I got to my three months and, he, and I didn't bill. And he basically asked me for my resignation. I was like, well, pissed off. And I went and wrote it out and gave it to him. He tore it up and threw it away and said, oh, just go, go bill, you idiot. And I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> and the next day I, I made like a $72,000 placement, which like broke all their records and all mm. sorts of stuff. So it was like a, it was a good one I had in the pipeline. Mm. But um, it clicked for me um, at, at that sort of moment. So I realized that recruitment was what I wanted to do because I get to change people's lives. Mm. I, uh, I get to... I get to put people into jobs where they can you know, give their kids better education. You know, they can eat better food. They can go on better holidays or I can remove them from a toxic environment, you know, where they're going to have a better relationship with their family and their wife. Cause it all, you know, ripples out. So, mm. um, I often, often say to the guys, I'm like, you know, we change people's lives, guys. I'm like, mm. I know that's like a big like statement and, and you and might not. It can sound cliche and everything. It can, yeah. And, and you can tell who does buy into it and who doesn't, who really gets it. And, you know, you, you'll, it'll click for them when they get that candidate that rings up after a couple of months and goes, oh, my God, you know, Pete changed my life i love going to work every day you know my family's so happy to have me home at night and mm. all that sort of stuff and you know um like one of my guys andy you know he got a call the other day you know they're inviting him out to a special you know a mm. special dinner it's a new company they've kicked all these goals and and he's put like 10 people into the business they've only been operating for like sort of five months and they're just smashing all these records and dominating their particular market and they're like oh you just need to come out and it's it's mm. and it's that company it's in its infancy there's just 
they didn't think they were going to make any money for mm. like two years and they were like planned it and Andy has put all these like really cool people in there that have just kicked them in leaps mm. and bounds and they've just kicked all the goals that they could have and he got that that call and he was like oh that makes me feel so good I'm like this is what it, this is what I'm talking about yeah. this is what it's about um, or you just get a really nice heartfelt email from someone um, that sort of thing so that, that that's mm. kind of when that's where I get my my satisfaction from and the kick. yeah the kick from so mm. the money comes if you if you enjoy what you do but but um to answer your question you know young Pete was just like oh I need money to make me feel comfortable and old old Pete is like you know I actually what does it for me now is actually knowing that I've helped someone mm. you know like someone's like oh, you know I was so busy I was working all this time and and now I've freed up time on mm. the weekend you know I've done this I've done that you know my business grown whatever and that's kind of where i get my mm. it's like a higher level on the maslow's pyramid right yeah. self-actualization now like you've you've met your financial needs throughout the journey now you're looking at okay well what value can i actually bring besides what's in it for me and i think for for recruitment if i can speak on behalf of yourself or, Tony yeah, or any, any, any of the other recruiters out there um it's in a way, it's a double sell because not only are you sitting in front of the recruiter and saying, hey, this is the candidate that we or I recommend, you're also talking to the candidate and saying, this is the company that I think you should join. So it's, it's, um, it's a sell or a conversation that you have with two different entities and also the upside when it, when it comes um, to fruition is you've helped a company by finding the right person and they'll thank you for it later. And then you've also helped the candidate or the person find the right job, earn more money, be happier, etc. Yeah. And then, and then further to that, like once you get further established in your career, it'll become more about people leveraging your network, which is kind of what Tan and I uh, we're, we're kind of at an stage of our career now where, you know, I'll have one of my clients ring me up and say, oh, Pete, I need an acre of hard stand so I can pour concrete panels on. Do you know anyone? And I can ring up one of my other clients. I'll say, hey, I know you've got a block of land out here that's got a workshop yeah. and everything on it. You know, can I possibly connect you guys? And Or, you know, someone will be importing, you know, 10 containers of toolboxes or, or um you know, someone will need a immigration lawyer to, you know, bring a whole lot of people over and you have this network that you connect people from. And mm. that's, it's not even recruitment. Yeah. It's basically just leveraging a network and, yeah. and having people connect that way. And then typically when they do business and they get projects and the projects grow and they need people, who are they going to call? Yep. They're, they're going to call the people that, are, that have, um, you know, helped them progress mm. along. Like we've got legal clients that um, he's like, Pete, you know, um, having you work on my business has made such a difference. And I'm like, oh, awesome. I, like that's, I really, really enjoy that. And the people that he employs, they have, you mm. know, they, they, they get to sort of, everyone gets sort of pulled along up the, up the success ladder. And, yep. and I think that's, that's kind of what it's all about. Amazing. So for anyone watching or listening, how can they connect with yourself? Uh, LinkedIn, LinkedIn's really good. Um, it's probably the easiest way to get a hold of me or my, uh emails on my on my website it's peter at blackwolfconsulting.com.au but you can find me on linkedin uh peter tokalanis it is up there just connect with me happy to chat with with anyone that connects amazing it's been a pleasure to talk to you pete thanks mate it was great
everyone watching and listening, thank you so much for tuning in. And we'll see you the next time. Thanks, thank baby. you. Bye.